0: This morning, we're going to uh, look into God's Word together, and I hope that you'll open your Bible and look with me to Acts chapter number 6, Acts chapter 6. And uh, we've been talking about responding to threats, and there were threats against the early church. As the Spirit of God was poured out on the church, initial threats came by those that were uh, threatened and then become... Uh, the givers of threats, and that's by the religious community. And they try to snuff out the gospel and silence the apostles. But you know what? They would not be uh, hooked by their their fear tactics. And they instead rested in the resurrected Jesus Christ and proclaimed the gospel. And the church of Christ was growing and flourishing, but Satan is a liar, and he tries to divide his church. (laughs) And today, I want us to look at uh, Acts chapter 6, and these are threats now, not from outside, but threats from the inside. And notice how Satan tries to work, and I want to read a scripture, and then I've asked Lindsay, my daughter, if she'll lead us in prayer today. And uh, so, uh, I think this is number eight, all right, and... uh, well, let's, uh, let's look at the scripture. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their, widows were not being, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, the Canner, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lindsay, would you lead us, please, in prayer?
1: Father God, as we come to you this morning, I am reminded about your promise in the word. In Isaiah, where you say that, just like the rain falls to the ground and it causes things to grow and to flourish and it feeds the hungry, that your word is the same, that your word never returns void and it accomplishes what you intend. And God, as we open your word today, I pray that we would believe in it as being that powerful and that effective for our lives. Um, something that satiates our hunger and causes us to flourish and grow as a community. I pray for Dad as he preaches faithfully today that um, we would not be distracted, that the divisions and the lies that are um, coming in across this room you know, in this church, the things that Satan's trying to distract us with, that you would remove those things, that we could focus on what you're speaking today through your word. Pray that um, your word would be preached right now with boldness and confidence, and we know it will be effective in our lives if we are willing to open our ears and listen. I pray that we would do that. Um, thank you so much for the faithful preaching of the word that's taking place here this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Lord.
0: <clears throat> this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time just us to, uh, us to remember. First of all, understand this. I tell you this all the time, but Satan is a liar and a thief. He is your enemy. He's opposed to the things of God. He's opposed to God himself. He's opposed to your spiritual development and your spiritual growth. And any time Satan whispers in your ear to do something that's contrary to God's revealed word, you know it's not the will of God, and you know that it will not bless your life, but you know it will bring destructive things into your life. Satan is such a liar and a thief, and he's also a very subtle adversary, and he works against us. He lies and opposes God's work. He attacks and he uses fear often as, a, as a, an attack mechanism against us and against our church. But he also takes our own personal preferences. And he takes those preferences and wields them and uses them in order to create division. The other thing that he does is he takes our insecurities and our fears and, and the things in our, uh, our makeup that where we've been injured in our own path and he magnifies that and has that, if, if he can, he wants that to drive our life rather than the Spirit of God to drive our life. And so that also is a source of conflict within churches in particular. He attacks by getting our attention off of Jesus and onto ourselves or others so that we might be distracted and that he might create disunity. Church trouble and church fights are always dishonoring the God, almost always. Satan hooks our flesh and we become led by politics and power and gossip and fear and not by the Holy Spirit of God, amen? And I thank God there's such unity and harmony in the life of our church. And so now is really a good time for us to remember this because when Satan tries to attack, that we do not get divided, amen? There was a certain church in Dallas, Texas, I read about who they decided that they were going to split the church and the church was going to become two different churches. Each group filed a lawsuit in order to claim the property. The judge looked at the suit and decided that it needed to be uh, uh, settled by a, de- uh, some de- a denominational authority. And so a denominational court was set up to hear both sides and where the property ought to go. And so they brought their conflict issues out and, uh, and talked about how the conflict started and where it started. And the craziest thing is, it as they boiled it down, the conflict began when one of the elders in the church at a church fellowship dinner received a smaller portion of ham than a child right next to him. And he took that as a personal insult against him and began a campaign against the leadership within the church and conflict and gossip continued to mount and people began to become dis... It, it just it, it grew and grew and grew until they, they couldn't even remember all the reasons they were mad at each other, but they just decided they were going to split the church. And all of this played out in the newspaper, in the Dallas newspaper. And lost people laughed, but heaven weeps. This is Satan's lie to distract us, to mess us up. And countless works of God have been destroyed in this kind of way. God is blessing. Souls are being changed. The church is reaching the community. Missionaries are being sent out. But somebody begins to complain or a group begins to complain and grumble because they don't feel appreciated. Or they feel that they're being neglected. And it begins with a criticism and then grumbling and then a critical glance. And, and, and maybe somebody feels like their name was forgotten. Or maybe it was a social gaffe. They didn't get invited to a certain event. Uh, uh, they felt like their name was left out in an acknowledgement. They weren't recognized. They begin to coddle their hurt. Dissension spreads. Hurts multiply and churches get divided. Now I want you to look with me to Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1 and notice how God was blessing. In those days as the number of disciples was multiplying, notice that God was blessing incredibly. People were coming to Christ week in and week out and God was adding to their number. And did you know what Satan really doesn't attack dead churches too much. They're not making much of a difference in the kingdom of God. But churches that are on fire trying to make a difference in this world, Satan tries to attack. And notice, there's, they were, and there arose a complaint. Really, the word here is a murmuring. And it was the same word that's used in the Septuagint for the children of Israel who murmured. It says there arose this complaint. And the complaint comes from Hellenistic Jews. Now, there are two different groups of Jews that are in the early church. Some are called Hellenistic Jews. They're Jews from, they were part of the dispersion of Jews that took place in the Mediterranean world. And they were living in more Greek cultures and spoke Greek language and understood Greek customs, even though they were Jewish, and they worshiped Yahweh, and they, they understand the festivals and the great days, and, and they, they have come to trust in Christ. But their background is Greek or Hellenistic, and so their, their culture and their, the filter that they see life through is a bit different. Then there's the Hebraic Jews. These are Palestinian Jews. They speak Aramaic and Hebrew, and they are different than the hellenistic Jews but God has brought them together to be one in his body but there's always a bit of a tension here between these two groups what well, has sort of boiled over at the point of dispersion of giving of need of, of gifts and food for those that were really hungry particularly the widows and so the complaint came that the Hellenistic Jews, uh, their widows were being overlooked and not taken care of the same way that the Hebraic Jewish widows were being taken care of. And so this, these, this, there's the, the tension of language and culture and habits and the importance of the temple. These were stress points, but this break in the fellowship this complaint that threatens the church is that the poor people aren't being cared for the widows of one group more than the other now understand this favoritism is sin look with me to james chapter 2 verse number one my brothers do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious lord jesus christ for example a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring dressed in fine clothes and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there, sit here on the floor by my footstool, you ha- haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become Judges? with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in Scripture... Love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In any time we play favorites, it is dishonoring to God and the church of Jesus Christ. Because the royal law is this that we are to love one another. By this will all men know that we're his disciples if we love one another. The very thing you want others to do for you, you do for them. That is the law of love and the law of the kingdom. And when we disobey that and show favoritism, that is sin. And this is sort of the complaint coming to, uh, to the apostles on uh, this occasion. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts? James speaks to this. What is the source of wars and fights among you don't they come from cravings that are war within you you desire and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires he says you know the real issue that often is in us is our own passions and our own desires, our own coveting, our own envy, our, the desire to please ourselves. This is the source of most conflict. Now, let me say that sometimes, sometimes there has to be a conflict because the issue is so important that it causes a, a division if we can't be agreed on the issue. For instance, a tier one kind of issue that the church occasionally has to deal with might have to do with the very gospel itself. For instance, if there's somebody that comes into the church and they begin to teach that the Bible is not true and the Bible's not inspired and the gospel isn't exactly true and there may be other ways to get to heaven other than through Jesus Christ And that our only hope is not found in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Then the church has to look at that issue and say that you have moved away from sound doctrine. And we are dividing from you because your teaching is not right. That is not sin for a division to take place over something that important. Amen. But most churches, that's not the real issue. A second tier issue might be that you are together in fellowship, you're interpreting the scripture in a like-minded way, but somebody else has a different view or different interpretation. You might say, yes, they are brothers and sisters, but in this fellowship, we're believing the interpretation of God's word to be this about a very important matter, and it might cause not hate, Not a brokenness, but there might be a difference in fellowship level. But the most of the quarrels and fights in churches are third level issues that don't matter really. They're not huge, they're all about preferences and about me and about my convenience or what I think or my opinion. And those things have a way of splitting churches again and again and again we must be on guard that we don't disobey god with disunity amen now disunity what does it do it hurts our fellowship verse number one tells us that they, they they the church was multiplying but this complaint came and the fellowship was breaking between these two different groups of jews that had been saved in Christ. They're one in Christ, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We saying about this. They're together, yet Satan is going to use this wedge issue to divide along racial backgrounds, along uh, cultural backgrounds, and cause a division in the fellowship. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do. He tries to cause a division in our lives. and. In Numbers chapter number 14, notice the children of Israel are, are, are getting ready to go into the promised land. They're standing right at the brink of going into the promised land. But there comes back a report from the spies, and some say that the, list, the majority said, look, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight, and, and we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and there's no way that we can take the land. And... And fear begins to spread. Joshua Caleb says, look, God has removed their defenses. God has promised to the land. God is with us. Let's take the land. But notice what happens. The whole community broke into loud cries. The people wept that night. The Israelites complained. They're murmuring and grumbling about whom? Moses and Aaron. And the whole community told them, if only we died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Is that a negative thing? Notice, it'd be better to be dead than at the brink of this. Notice how, how fear wants to divide us. And it, it, the division is against the leadership. Well, similarly, there's probably, a, this complaint arises to the apostles. Why does it come to them? Because there's a break in the fellowship, but also, some of the murmuring might have been The money was laid at the feet of the apostles for distribution. The apostles are in charge of making sure the distribution is right. And some are being overlooked so the apostles aren't doing their job right. You hear it? Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 10.10 tells us, we should not complain as some did and were killed by the destroyer. He's, He's reminding us, Paul is, there's consequences When we get divided and murmur one against another. Because it ruins our fellowship, not only with one another, but with God. Secondly, disunity hurts our witness. Notice with me in John 17, verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their message. May they be one as you, Father, are me, and I am you. May they also be one in us. Notice why. So the, let's say the last, right there was so. Begin with so with me. Say it out loud with me. So the world may believe you sent me. Why are we be one? Why is he praying that we be one? So the world may believe that you sent me. Notice in verse number 23, I in them and you are in me. I I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one together. Why? Say it with me. So the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Wow. You see, when we are living in disunity, it hurts our witness. Jesus said in John 13, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have loved me. For one another. Gossip. Murmuring. Complaining. Sowing seeds. Of discord. And division. That is not. Of the spirit. Do you all know that complaining. Is not a spiritual gift. I've got the gift of complaining and negativity. Well, that's not what we need in the church. That doesn't come from the Spirit of God. God's Spirit gifts you so that the church might be more united and passionate about the mission of God. You will give an account to God for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Your heart. Let me tell you what, it's so easy to get your tail in the gate and get upset and be mad and coddle your hurt and be aggravated about everything going on. I'm telling you, it will put you in the worst state of mind. It will drive you away from the fellowship of the church and it will drive you away from God. Satan is a liar and a thief. And he takes something, even something good, and he will use it to twist it and bring a division in you. Do not give in to Satan's lies, Amen. And you say, well, I don't mean to complain. But what do you think about whatever fill in the blank? Hmm. Or sowed little seeds of discourse and gossip. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And he loves this church. his church. He's washing and cleansing. And he, he, if you are causing... Hurt to the church of Jesus Christ. You have put yourself in opposition to God himself. And it will not bring blessing in your life. Am I telling the truth? Well, yeah, but but I just don't like. It's not about you, dude. It's about him. It's about him. Believe me, I can get there in a New York minute, man. Negativity fill my heart and life. Can I tell you something else? Hanging out with negative-minded people and negative-talking people has a negative impact in your life. So when someone comes with a grumbling, murmuring, negativity, if you say, hey, man, I hear you. Let's just stop right now and let's just go to the Lord in prayer about this right now. I'll tell you what, let's get on our knees and let's confess our sins first. And then let's pray about this issue together. What do you think? And then I'll tell you what, let's go to the pastor and let's talk about this issue because let's get it all cleaned up. Or if it's somebody else in the church they're complaining about, let's just go to them and get it fixed right now. What do you think? That's what God wants us to do. No, 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 no. Folks, let's don't get sucker punched by the evil one. Amen? Let's Wake up. Well, all this wasn't in the notes, but it's just extra, all right? Secondly, Thirdly, this, this, this unity holds us back. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, what Jesus said. You know, Jesus was casting out demons, and they said he doesn't cast out demons by God's power. He's casting out demons by a chief of demons, Belzebub. And uh, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he told them every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. That principle is true. And whether it's in an in evil kingdom or in Christ's kingdom, what he's saying is division brings defeat in your life. Division brings defeat and holds back in the life of the church. Amen. Amen. I have had the privilege to be a pastor here at Bethel for a long time. Just after the boat landed on dry ground, (laughs) I got to be the pastor. Bethel Baptist was not always located right here at seven 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 five Collinsville Road. We used to be located on Throp Street in the middle of town. How many of y'all were members of the church when it was located there? oh good a lot of us weren't right and so in that old church that was where that's where i god called me to, to be the pastor christy and i were young really much younger we're still young but we were younger christy's really young but we were younger all right 29 years old when i came pastor here and the parsonage was right next across the parking lot and the church was small the, there was a gravel parking lot, and, and there was a small two-story concrete block building. And, and, and then Brother Jim remembers this, and then there was a building on top of that, and then a little, uh, there was a, a, a little uh, a auditorium. And it was nice. I think it was built around 1968 or so. And so uh, it was nice. When I came to the church, though, the church was divided over some stuff. And several from the search committee, the pulpit committee told me, and I, the people I interviewed and talked with, and good people disagreed about different things in our church. Irma's sitting out here. She knows what I'm talking about. And you know, one of the things that we were divided about, some people didn't like the pastor, some didn't like the youth director, some people didn't like this. But one of the things they got all divided about in our church that we got divided about, and it was predated me, but... They felt like that they were out of space and they needed to relocate and they had researched relocation and they bought a piece of property out on the edge of town off of Highway 40 and they were going to relocate the church. The church got completely divided. Didn't, some did not agree with it. Other people did want it to happen. And I'm not saying the leadership was all right on it. I, don't, I wasn't here, but all I know was it became a wedge issue that divided the church. And good people that loved each other all of a sudden became divided with, each other, which, with one another and differed on these issues. It affected the whole spirit of the church. So when I came to be the pastor, I said, I'm not touching that deal. I'm, all, uh, I'm not going to deal with that. And so I'm just going to love the people, preach the word, care for people, shepherd people, listen to them, trying to say, let's set all that aside and And we looked at that piece of property, and it becomes such a lightning rod issue that we said, we're not going to build on that piece of property. We're going to try and grow our church. We bought property all around us. We built and remodeled our church and bought other houses around us and called staff to join us, and God began to work in the life of our church. And you know what? All of a sudden, we got our eyes off of a piece of ground, a piece of property. We sold that piece of property but we outgrew that little facility, and you know what? We needed to build a, another church, and yet there wasn't enough room to do it. And so now we're coming back to make a decision again. And so we brought to the church. We, we, we believe that God wants us to sell this building that we currently are in and buy a piece of property out here in the middle of the cornfields, and then relocate our entire church out there. With fear and trembling, I brought this to the church. And guess what happened? We voted to move. And it was a unanimous vote to do it. That's a miracle from heaven, because if Baptists unanimously agree about anything, you know it's the work of God. And the work flourished. Folks, understand disunity holds us back, but united in the spirit opens the door for greater blessing. Amen? We're out to hurry. All right. <clears throat> Second, uh, the solution is you've got to restore trust and administrate ministry. And notice in verse number three. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who you can appoint to this duty. So he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to select from among you seven men of good reputation. And so he brings it back to the church. The apostles, rather than handpicking them, said to the church, you all, this is a division. You all, we're entrusting to you this to you as a church. You select seven men. Here are the qualifications. Good reputation. That means they're honest, trustworthy, well thought of by everyone in the fellowship. They are men of integrity and, and, and good reputation. And people trust them. Secondly, they're full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God leads and they're obedient to Christ. They're following the Lordship of Christ. They are uh, obedient to the Word of God. These are men that are Spirit-filled. They're they're, they're following Jesus. The character of Jesus is evident in their life. And they have wisdom. They can understand how God is speaking and working. And they don't only use their minds, but they understand how the Spirit... Spirit of God is working. They're sound in their decision making. And so this is what they did. They, they said, And we will devote ourselves to prayer and preaching the word. Verse 5, notice. The proposal pleased the whole company, the church. And they chose the church. And let's look at who they chose. Stephen. Now, what do we know about Stephen? He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. By the way, Stephen. We'll see in just a, 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 in just a few passages from now that Stephen was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the word of God with power, won people to Christ, confronted adversaries, but loved other people in Jesus. That was Stephen. He's the first martyr in the church. Philip. What do we know about Philip? Philip. Philip was a great preacher and evangelist, and he goes as a missionary to Samaria and wins many people to Christ. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Menas, and Nicholas, and a, a, who's a proselyte for Antioch. What do, we, what do we know about Nicholas? He's not even from Jerusalem. He's a proselyte into Judaism and converted to Christ, but he's from Antioch. Notice that all of these names listed here are, they hold another thing in common. What is it? They're all Greek names. So they choose. (laughs) The issue is between Hebraic Jews and Greek-speaking Jews and the church votes and says we're electing a board to oversee all of this and they're all Greek-speaking. But they trusted them to deal with this issue. And trust is restored in the life of the church. And this group organizes the distribution. And the apostles leave that alone and said, we're going to focus on the word and prayer and teaching and preaching and equipping. Isn't that good? And notice how God restores that. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful, what a beautiful uh, focus. Number two, two, second major point. Today is the threat of distraction. In this story, it teaches us about how easily it is to get distracted from doing the main thing that God has called us to do. Notice in verse number two, the twelve summoned the whole company and said it would not be good, it would not be right for us to do what? Give up what? Preaching about God in order to handle what? The financial matters, the distribution of funds for the poor. And verse number four, notice what the apostles said. We will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and what? Preaching ministry. And so that's what uh, the financial matters is of. Uh, that didn't belong there. All right. And so, so the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem greatly multiplied, and a large group of priests became obedient to the church. To the faith it is it is amazing how God works notice we've got to focus on the main thing and that's what they did they said it wasn't right for us to to leave the thing that is secondary not that it's unimportant but it's not what it's not the main thing that we're called to do or God has gifted us to do we got to keep the main thing the main thing And so that's what we must do is keep the main thing, the main thing in our life. What if the apostles had neglected prayer and preaching and the word and began to just take care of this administrative problem? We'll devote ourselves to pray and pray they did and trusted God. We need to emulate Andrew Bonar. He wrote in his diaries, I see that unless I keep my short prayer every day throughout the whole day at intervals, I lose the spirit of prayer. He wrote in another place, too much work without corresponding prayer. In his journal, he wrote one day, today I'm setting myself to pray. The Lord forthwith seems to send a dew upon my soul. He wrote in his journal, I was enabled to spend part of Thursday in my church praying, have had great help in study since then. He wrote one day in his journal, past six hours today in prayer and scripture reading, confessing sin and seeking blessing for myself and our parish. It's the ministry of the word and prayer we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Secondly, fulfill your calling. Notice the calling in Ephesians 4.11. He personally gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for what purpose? The training of the saints, the equipping of the saints. For what? In the work of ministry. So that what? To build up the body of Christ. Verse 13. Until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into a mature man with a stature measured to be Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children. Tossed by waves, blown about by every wind of teaching. By human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who's the head, Christ. Notice 16. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Every part of the body of Christ is important. And the calling of the early church was to preach and encourage and equip and train the the calling of these apostles and teachers so that the church would be built up in the likeness of Christ and grow in faith. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 28 says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, seeing people become like Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. This is what God has called us to do. Fulfill your calling of God. To fill it. He has a plan and a call in your life. Carry out what that called plan is. Verse 29 of Colossians says, I, I, I labor, I strive for this with the strength that works powerfully in me. Wow. Number three, flourish in your gifting. God's gifted you. Would you tell your neighbor you're gifted? All right, convince them. You're gifted. You've got gifts. Gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life that God has given you. Gifted for the glory of God, but gifting also for the building up of the church. I'm not saying administrative responsibilities aren't important. They are. Service ministries are important in the life of the church. Caring ministries are important. Benevolent ministries are important. But you, all of those ministries come together and God has gifted his body with different gifts, each and every individual. And when those parts are working together in what Paul describes as his analogy as a body, then that whole body is healthy carrying out what God wants them to do. And the big threat was the church is that he would get them distracted from the main thing and from their calling and from their giftedness and would get them to do things that they're not really gifted or called to do. And this is the big distraction that Satan still tries to do to the church is get us off the main thing, which is to worship God, love him with all of our heart, to encourage one another in the faith, to win people to Christ and disciple them that they grow up in Jesus to care for one another, love one another, encourage one another, all the more as we see the day coming. But let's don't get distracted from the main thing that God's called us to do. Listen, other organizations can carry out different social agendas. This church isn't called to do everything, but the church is to be laser focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. And carry it out. This is what God's called us to. Flourish in your gifting. God's gifted you, enabled you. As a plan and purpose for your life. 1 Timothy 4 1 says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus who's going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing in his kingdom. Proclaim the message. Persist in it. Whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. Don't get sidetracked on what God's called you to do. Paul uses the analogy of the body. The body is an amazing thing, right? But you know what? You might think that a member of your body is not all that important. You might not even think about that member as being important. The other day I was doing something and I... I got a blister on my finger. Now, I don't really think about this finger very much. But you know what? That blister on that finger was causing pain. And that pain kept getting my attention. Hey, we got a problem over here and need some attention. Years ago, I got up in the middle of the night to go take care of something, and so uh, from and I, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to wake Christy up. I'm not going to turn on any lights. And so I just walked through the bedroom, go to the bathroom. I come back, and I thought, I don't want to turn on any lights. I don't want to disturb her. She needs all of beauty rest. We're going to not disturb her. And at the base of our bed was a cedar chest. As I stumbled through the room... Now you may not think a lot about this little toe here as being very important, but that day that was, became very, very important, critically important, because I rammed that little toe. It split that toe when I hit the leg of that cedar chest, and when it did, there was an immediate reaction. That toe said to all of my nervous system, we got a problem down here, and meant that I... Began to hop around in the bedroom and hold my foot and coddle it because it was hurting. Now Christy is incredibly gifted, but the gift of mercy does not run deep in her. <laughs> I'm not lying; I'm, I'm not. No, no, it's the truth, isn't it? She said, "If you're looking for mercy, don't go to Christy." Because. She's more unlikely to say, Well, I'm sorry, but why don't you suck it up and just get going? And so that's kind of her attitude. And that's the way she did with second graders all the time when she was, and she deals with all of us. Anyway, so, but I'm hopping around. Well, I fall on the floor in the dark. I'm groaning. I could feel the bed shaking. The reason it was shaking was laughter that she's trying to hold internally. And then she said, trying to be as merciful as she can, are you you okay? (laughs) No, I'm not okay. We need an ambulance down here. Well, after some gauze and doctoring it up, I went back to bed and all night long it was throbbing. And that little member was saying, I am important and injured. We're part of the body of Christ. Every member in this body is important. Placed into the body by the elective purpose of God, His saving work in your life, gifted by the Holy Spirit, and important. And you need to function in your giftedness using your abilities and giftedness to help the whole body carry out the purpose of God in this world. Folks, when one part of the body starts fighting against another part of the body, that has disastrous health consequences. That's what a cancer does. Let's guard that we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen? Amen. Takeaways today. Number one, fight for unity. If you're going to fight for anything, fight for unity. Unity. Number two, when you have a concern, you voice your concerns. There's nothing wrong with that. Number three, refuse to grumble and complain. There is something wrong with that. Number four, organize for ministry and evangelism. You know what? A little organization sometimes deal with some of the problems in communication and service. Number five, serve God and other people. Number six, use the gifts that God has given you. Amen? Those are good takeaways, aren't they? Those are good takeaways. Did you get them all? Let's 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 go back. Number one, takeaway. From a curveball, didn't it? Number one, fight. Write that down. Fight for what? Say it with me. Let's say it together. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Number six. And may He grow His church. Father in heaven, have Your way in our hearts, in our lives, in this service. I thank You for Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins and rose again, that all who trust in Him might have eternal life. Father in heaven, I pray that today, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, that today they might come and trust him and know him. Oh, Father, have your way in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand with me.